I'm hoping that if you were in worship last week, the second lesson sounds familiar. It's the same one. <laughs> um, I'm preaching on the same text because there's so much here in the first chapter of John's first letter. So we begin with the first verse. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So if this is your first time visiting today, if you're a member who was not able to worship last week, we did indeed focus on this same text in our worship. And I preached a sermon uh, last Saturday and Sunday on forgiveness. And I've shared this with some of you before. It's very interesting after worship when a person comes up to the preaching pastor and says, now that was a good sermon because it makes you wonder what they think about all the other ones you've preached. But if the response to last week's meditation is any indication, God used that sermon to touch a lot of people. And to Him be the glory for that. But as we meditated last week on forgiveness, a lot of people were reminded of a time in their life when they needed mercy and forgiveness and didn't receive it or when they should have offered it to someone else and did not. And so if you miss that message, like all of our sermons, it's available on our church website as an audio file and you can listen to it at your convenience. Without forgiveness, we're in darkness. Without forgiveness, there is no life in Christ. And if there is no life in Christ, then there's certainly no Christian fellowship to be had. So you already see the connection between last week's meditation on forgiveness and today's on fellowship. Today we're going to meditate on that unique fellowship that is sustained by the power of God's grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his precious blood more costly than silver or gold. And as we think about Christian fellowship today, it's important as it always is to consider the context in which 
John is describing fellowship and that fellowship that existed between him and the other disciples of Jesus Christ in his day because there is a connection, you see. So we have lots of new Christians in our congregation. We have people who are just beginning to read and study God's word. So for their benefit, um, let's remember that John was one of the first original 12 disciples. Uh, He wrote this letter along with the second and third letters in the New Testament that follow our uh, reading today. The first two letters are really more sermonic. They are a, uh, a message intended for the entire Christian community. They were not written to a specific church, like Paul wrote to the church in Romans or Ephesus, nor is this a letter addressed to a specific individual. The third letter of John is written to a specific person by the name of Gaius. And not only did John write these three letters, these epistles, he also is the author of the gospel that bears his name, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's his. Now, as you look at today's text, one might rightly think, Why isn't John using the word I? (laughs) I declare to you what was from the beginning, what I have heard, what I have seen. Instead, he uses the word we. He's saying we declare to you these things. And then he refers to what we have seen and what we've touched, the living Christ. John is using this plural pronoun as he refers to the entire apostolic witness He knows that he's not alone in encountering the living Christ. He understands that he's a member of a broader community that knew Jesus and saw Jesus in the flesh during his earthly ministry. Think about this. You and I probably do, at least I know I do, a similar thing um, when writing a letter. Yeah, I'm old enough that I still write a letter every now and again. It's a dying art form, isn't it? Isn't it exciting when you get a real letter from someone, handwritten in the mail? Today's, it's more like email and text messaging, phone calls. But when we communicate with one another, we often say, well, we love you. We're thinking of you. We'll be praying for you, even though you're the individual, the I, who's doing the verbalizing. We say we in reference to our entire family. I talk to my daughters, two of them who now live out of state in Colorado and Wisconsin. And I just say to them, you know, please remember that we love you and we're praying for you every day. That's in reference to my wife, Kirsten, and me. You probably do a similar thing. And in like fashion, John is using the word we, though he's the individual who actually wrote the letter. It's John and many others who heard Jesus speak, who saw Jesus walk the earth, who looked at and touched him, especially after he was resurrected. This witness and this testimony uh, did not belong to John exclusively, and he wants to make that abundantly clear. It belonged to all those who were in the presence of Christ during his ministry on this earth. And John says, therefore, we are declaring to you all these things, these glorious, wondrous, gracious things. And there's a reason 
that John is making these things known and declaring what they've seen and heard. And the reason is really twofold. In verse 3, so that you may have fellowship with us. And then secondly, in verse 4, and once we've come to enjoy this broader, wider fellowship, that our joy may be complete. So let's think about fellowship, shall we? John could not and would not keep the good news of Jesus Christ to himself. And similarly, establishing Christian fellowship with other people has never been an option for those who understand who Jesus truly is. And it is Christ and Christ alone who gives us true fellowship with one another in his name. I have belonged to many clubs and organizations through the years. Many of you have done the same, and some of you belong to lots of different civic associations even now. And thankfully, the ones that I chose to join through the years did many worthwhile, and I would even say noble things in our community and around the world. But true fellowship, as defined in the Bible, only exists when people are united in God's love through Christ. And there's even a special word for this kind of fellowship. It's what the New Testament refers to as koinonia. And if we wanted to get highfalutin and really impress people, we could rename our fellowship hall the koinonia cove or something like that, if true fellowship is what takes place there. And this fellowship, this koinonia, is not just a condition of human friendliness or politeness or the experience of pleasant conversations with other people. Koinonia is primarily an action word. It's used 19 times in the New Testament, and in addition to being translated as fellowship, it's also rendered in English as contribution, sharing, participation, You see, koinonia is not just a being together, but it is a doing together, a doing life, doing life in Christ's name together. We have a relationship, to be sure, of being in Christ. We have a relationship, you and I, of being a part of Christ's church. But this fellowship is more than being in Christ or being able to identify yourself as an official member of a congregation based on the definitions in the governing documents. Koinonia is not just a being in or being part of, it is a doing of life with Christ. And remember this, please. Fellowship is not just doing anything together. It's only when we seek to do God's will together that our fellowship is truly the fellowship that John describes in his letter. For a lot of people, fellowship is thought of as let's get together at Marble. They've got a new craft beer available. Let's share a pizza. Let's get together and watch the Minnesota Vikings lose again. Some of you know what that means. Let's have a cookout as soon as it gets warmer. Let's go see the new movie that's just released. 
All of these things have their place in our life together as Christians. And God has taught me a lot about being a Vikings fan, about my Christian walk. Because sometimes you lose and you lose terribly and it's humiliating. But there's a greater hope in Christ, right? But the things we do together, the pizza parties, the barbecuing, the going to movies, they're only Christian fellowship to the extent that they edify that relationship we have in Christ and encourage us in seeking to do His work in the world. Think about it this way. Pagans, agnostics, atheists, they get together for pizza They watch football games. They enjoy movies together. It's Jesus who makes our fellowship more than just another in a long string of experiences of group life and group dynamics. It's Jesus who makes this life that we share together at faith into something more, nothing less than koinonia. And note this, John says that he is writing his letters so that others may have this koinonia with us. You see, Christian fellowship is never content with the status quo. It's always seeking to do more that others might be included in an ever-widening, more inclusive relationship with Jesus. And unlike many of the human organizations and activities in which I participated that are very inward-looking, Christian fellowship is always looking outside of itself, always looking to invite and include more and more people into the kingdom that they too can partner with Christ in the work that He set before us. And it's in this spirit that John turns to the topic of joy. Uh, My handy Collegiate Dictionary defines joy as a condition or feeling of high pleasure, delight, happiness, or gladness. Let's be honest. There's many things in life, some legal and some quite illegal, that can put us in a condition of high pleasure. And right now, some of you are thinking of your college days. You know who you are. But that kind of pleasure is fleeting. It's only temporary. And that kind of um, delight cannot be sustained for long. And it certainly doesn't bring to us the joy that John's describing here. Some Christians incorrectly associate joy with um, a positive mental attitude. There's something to be said for being positive and optimistic. But most people have discovered that it is impossible to maintain a positive attitude unless there's something more than your consciousness involved. And sometimes, in my experience, the people who seek to have this positive mental attitude come across in a forced, contrived, artificial way. The joy which John describes is not a temporary condition of pleasure, nor is it simply a matter of a bright he-he-ha-ha, everything's-coming-up-roses outlook on life. This joy is Christ-centered. 
And listen to this, brothers and sisters. In the New Testament, the word for joy, kara, appears 51 times. And in the majority of those references to joy, it's used in reference to our suffering and persecution as Christians. And that seems to the non-believer counterintuitive. I mean, joy is when there's no suffering and there's no persecution or hardship. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to be joyful, especially when others revile us and persecute us on account of our faith. So you see, this joy is more than a positive mental outlook. The joy that we know as Christians, is more than a warm, a fuzzy feeling. And this biblical joy is inseparable from a relationship with God. It springs from our knowledge and understanding of the purpose of life and the hope of living with God for an eternity where every tear will be wiped away and death will finally be swallowed up forever. So for Christians, joy is really um, kind of a character trait It's a sign that life has found its purpose, that we know who we are and why we're here. We know our reason for being. So we can be joyful even as we weep at the death of a loved one or friend. We can be joyful even when we face the uncertainty of a grim medical prognosis. We can be joyful even when life on earth seems harsh and unfair as it so often is. Because you see, our joy is not based on human justice, worldly fairness, or the human condition, but on God's promises, on his lordship and his grace and his mercy. And John says he wants others to come into this fellowship so that joy may be complete. Because you see, our joy as Christians is always incomplete unless we're doing the work of spreading the koinonia. It is never enough to have a relationship with God that we keep to ourselves. Joy is insufficient. It's lacking. If we think only of ourselves, or as so many like to put it these days, well, I have Jesus as my own personal Lord and Savior. Yes, his death for you on the cross is very personal. But he died on the cross to bring you into koinonia. And the kara that comes from that is always outward looking. Fellowship and joy in Christ find their fulfillment when we look to share the gospel with people who still live in darkness. Today we have an annual meeting. Anyone and everyone will have an opportunity to come forward to the microphones and speak. I pray even at an annual business meeting of the congregation that it will be an experience of koinonia that we will speak humbly at the foot of the cross and lovingly and respectfully to one another and that once the meeting has ended we'll get on with sharing the kara the joy that becomes more complete as we tell others about Jesus and lead them to Christ which, by the way, is our mission to lead people to Christ, to the koinonia, to the joy.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.